Hi, this is Danielle from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 158 of Art for Your Ear. My fabulous co-host today is a smart, hilarious, straight-shooting woman who has helped zillions of artists push through to the next stage of their practice. She's also a tiny bit scary. (laughs) Well, in a smart, hilarious, straight-shooting kind of way. I've talked about her so many times on the podcast, but she's never been on until today. Yep, Vancouver-based Penny Lane Shen is here, and she's calling bullshit on all sorts of things, because that is what she does. Thankfully, she doesn't stop there, though. She also provides great advice for getting past all of the junk that we tend to put in our own way. But before we get to Penny, I want to thank the people that introduced her to me in the first place. Yes, once again, Thrive, or more specifically, Jamie Smith, the founder of Thrive, connected us a few years ago. See, we're all one big happy family of artists supporting artists. That, of course, leads me to the fact that Thrive is a huge supporter of this podcast because they're awesome like that. Thrive is an artist group that I joined a few years ago thanks to Jamie. Here's how it works. Thrive supports female, genderqueer, and gender non-binary visual artists by providing the community and accountability that will help them achieve their goals. Members sign up for the Mastermind program for a year and meet monthly online with an intimate group of other artists to talk about the ups and downs of being an artist. We support each other setting and reaching our personal goals and being there for all of the nitty-gritty in between. Thrive's motto is, make art, meet your people, and do the work. Learn more at thriveartstudio.com and follow them on Instagram at Thrive Art Studio. I'm also thrilled to have a second sponsor this week, Create Magazine. Do you know this magazine? Oh my word, it is so gorgeous. Cover to cover of amazing artwork, artist profiles, and interviews. You know what they don't have? Ads. So, 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 so good. So, um, want to be in it? <laughs> Their latest call for entries is happening right now, and submissions are due on Monday, December 2nd. Visit createmagazine.com call, C-A-L-L, to find out more about submitting to the print magazine, and FYI, you can also submit your work to their blog for free. Um, oh, and if you're at Art Miami in early December, keep an eye out for them because they're going to be there too. So, here's something I was thinking about. I'm freaking exhausted. <laughs> I have been trying to think of something insightful and smart to say to kick off today's episode, but all I can think is, man, I am tired. So let's talk about that. Both Andy, a.k.a. Andy J. Pizza, and Ashley Longshore touched on this in the last couple of episodes, about the burnout that comes from constantly pushing yourself to go, go, go. Yeah, I do that. I'm my own boss, but my boss is a bit of a slave driver, and she never stops demanding things of me 24 hours, 7 days a week. Now, I'm actually quite good at doing 5 million things at once. Writing posts, tending to my social media garden, taking on book projects, my own artwork, of course, admin junk, making French toast for Charlie before I drive him to school. I do it all. And then I hit a wall, and all I want to do is nap. I love naps. And just to be clear, I'm not one of those 20-minute cat nappers. If I have a nap, it's for at least three hours. See, I do everything with a deep level of commitment, even sleeping. Anyway, here comes another one of my vulnerability hangovers. Thanks for the term, Brenny. I have a huge amount of type A guilt around doing nothing. Here's what I've been thinking about, though. Doing nothing is not actually doing nothing. 
doing nothing, I'll define nothing in a minute, recharges your battery. And if you can think of it like that, doing nothing is actually a really important part of not only being an artist, but also being a human. At least that's what I'm trying to remind myself on those days when I've got nothing left in my tank. Today is one of those days. So what does this mean? Where's the balance between be creative every day, work hard every day for what you want, live a creative life, and take time to recharge, give your brain a break? I'll tell you, it's a slippery slope for some of us. I could happily have a three-hour nap every day, then wake up for snacks and bad TV. Yeah, see, super slippery. (laughs) This kind of thinking also leads to this self-defeating land of excuses. I haven't made anything in a week, but that's okay because I'm giving myself a recharge break. Okay, hold on, lady. How long is this break going to last? I think this whole thing just might come down to scheduling. Fun! Scheduled relaxation. (laughs) Well, you know what? For me, I think that might be the only way. In the past few years, people always ask me, how do you do all the things you do? When do you sleep? Ha, ha, ha. Clearly, they don't know about the naps. My answer always has something to do with breaking my day or week into chunks of time. For example, if I've got a collage series on the go, I'll decide that every afternoon from 1 until 4 is studio time. That means no checking email, no social posts, no Dr. Phil during that block of time. I also know from experience that I'm not very creative in the morning, so I block off 9 a.m. till noon for all of my admin work, emails, prepping posts, and stuff like that. During that time, I don't allow myself to feel guilt about not being in the studio because that part of the day has not been allotted to studio time. I schedule my exercise, time in the evening with my family, writing time, podcast producing hours, and the list goes on. The only thing not worked into my week? Doing nothing. Maybe this comes from my very first summer job at Dixie Lee Chicken back in 1986. My super creepy boss, Todd, used to always say, If you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. Oh my God, did all of this come from creepy Todd? Ugh, let's hope he didn't have that much of an impact on my psyche. Anywho, while having a good work ethic is obviously really important, having a good relaxation ethic, is that a a thing? It should be. That is just as valuable, right? So, starting today, I'm going to make a conscious effort to be okay with taking some time to exhale free of guilt. Even though I live with my boss, which means she's even here on Saturday afternoon telling me that I could be working on posts for next week or making Excel spreadsheets for my next book tour, I can also take some much-needed time to chill the F out. The side benefit of giving yourself a bit of time and space just to go for a walk or read a good book by the fire actually helps you as a creative person. Quote, recharging your battery is such a cliche, but it's actually totally true. Because on that walk, while breathing in fresh, clean air, you'll probably notice something. A strangely shaped cloud or an interesting color palette in the changing leaves. It's those kinds of things that will most likely spark an idea for another project down the line. Reading a great book exposes you to the words of another creative person delivering inspiration in a way that if you didn't give yourself that moment of quote-unquote nothing, you'd never experience those words. Schedule those moments of quiet and then let the guilt go during that time. Listen to me, saying this as if I'm giving advice to you. (laughs) Okay, most of you probably already have this figured out. 
So I'm really just saying this to myself out loud at the moment, but if you need to hear it too, let's do it together. I am certainly not pretending that I have the answers to this elusive balance, but at least I'm finally asking the questions. All right, moving on. Let's see what the smart, hilarious, and straight-shooting Penny Lane Shen has to say, shall we? Here we go. Hello, Penny Lane. Hi, Danielle. How are you? I'm good. This is your first time on the podcast. It is, yes. And I'm nervous and excited. All the feelings. (laughs) Well, and you know what? This is even cool. You're just not here as a guest. You're you're one of my nine co-hosts. Do you feel do you feel even more nervous now? Yep. Like yeah. nine times more nervous. Yes, yeah, yeah. Of course. Because yeah. everything that you say now has to be incredibly impactful, inspiring. Yeah. yeah. Life changing. Life changing. So are you ready? I'll do my best. Okay, great. Um, okay, so I have talked about you a lot on the podcast and often with a little twinge of fear in my voice when I say Penny Lane. Because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's talk about how we met slash didn't meet. Okay. Um, so I think like a number of years ago, I messaged you about wanting to buy some of your pieces mm-hmm. then. And, uh, I heard crickets, crickets. You like didn't even ghost me because you didn't even show up to ghost away. You just remained uh, like a, 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 imagination, something untouchable. So, uh, yeah, never got to buy those pieces. Um, yeah. So I like to call that possuming That's right. where something comes up in my inbox and I am filled with fear. That was back before I had a price list and I actually like was willing to sell art because I was terrified of the whole process. So instead of writing you back and saying anything like that at all, I just didn't write you back. I just mm-hmm. played dead and hoped that you would go away unfortunately I did not <laughs> no. no and we have a lot of mutual friends so then the next time I like actually came in contact with the penny lane it was at dinner with a whole bunch of people and I purposely positioned myself at the opposite end of the table because I knew that I had ghosted slash possumed you yep it was like a weird you know ex-boyfriend thing I know situation. I, I was really embarrassed yeah. and then <laughs> anyway since then I well We've grown close. Yes, we have. I have sold work. And now, yes, I, write, I, now I write you back. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. And I came to your home. You well, invited yes. me in. I had to be invited in like a vampire. Yeah. And then I could enter and then tell you what to do. Right. So that was a huge step for both of us. I that think. was a very huge step because, so I decided to email you back, but then I was like, I'm never doing a consultation with her. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, mm-hmm. no, no. I'll tell other people to do it, but I'm yes. not going to do it. And then our good friend, our mutual friend, Jamie, the, mm-hmm. the queen of Thrive, she, she said, she no, is. Penny is coming to your house. Yep. And I drove up that treacherous hill Yeah, and knocked on your door. Yeah. And I almost pretended, I like literally was like, if I pretended Turn off I the wasn't lights, home. Right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody hide. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I let you in and it was amazing. And it is very, it's a very vulnerable experience because you are like, especially, you know, you know, my story, I I have all those scars left over from art school. So putting your work out there and going, Hey, tell me what you think. It's a bit scary. So I was a bit scared. Um, but you told me all the things and you're very insightful from all your gallery years and all of that stuff. And so you really, um, 
it helped me so, so much. And now I really tell everybody to go to you. Oh, well, that means so much to me. I remember when you, when you didn't write me back, I remember writing you and saying, are these two pieces left? Like I just, like that you had sold out and could these possibly be still around? Like, are they still <laughs> around? And you did not write me back. And I just remember thinking, well, I guess they're out. Like, I guess you just sold out. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're in a pile in my studio that like, <laughs> I won't let anybody see and or buy. No, because I saw them when I came home. Yeah. <laughs> Like a year later. Oh, there they are. Uh, um, so yeah, that is, that's pretty much it. That's what I do. There's instill a tiny bit of fear with, with mostly excitement. That's a, that's the recipe for a consultation. But how did you, how did you start even doing this? Like, I, yeah, yeah, because sure. I haven't had you on the podcast before. So let's get a little recap of who is Penny Lane. Sure. Yeah. So Days and Confucius is um, the like my business and we have a, great team of people here who provide sort of like services for artists, like a one-stop shop kind of to get your, get your shit together. Can I say that? Yeah. Okay. It. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I thought so after Ashley's, I, I thought Yeah. So. If Ashley Longshore has been on here, you're good. Yep. Yeah. She like paved the profanity road for <laughs> the rest right. of us. That's right. Now it's smooth. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I was working in gallery. I've been working in commercial and uh, public gallery for quite a long time. And, um, this was, you know, before I lived in Toronto and did, did my schooling there. And then afterwards went to New York, did more schooling there and, uh, worked and what in did gallery. You study? I studied visual culture theory. And that is basically like the, the study of how images make meaning. Oh. And yeah. And so I did my BFA as well. Like I went to art school, but basically I found out partway through that, you know, I like talking about art and what it stands for selling it um, writing about it kind of more than I like making it. And that's something that I was very, I felt very lucky to sort of figure out, I don't know, like relatively early on. Mm-hmm. And I went on to, you know, instead of getting a BFA when I got, I mean, sorry, um, uh, MFA went on to get an MA instead. Ah. And yeah. And so, um, yeah, liked just talking about it more. I came back to Canada and, um, work, continue to work in gallery. Cause sometimes when you start down a path, it's just easier to continue, you know? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily what I was looking for, but I sort of fell into it. Um, and then stayed in it for just a long time. Um, and I had a ton of artists coming in pretty much doing everything the wrong way. Right. <laughs> and, um, after a while I thought, Hey, you know, I, I need to, I need to get all these people in one place and tell them how to do it better. And so that was sort of the beginning. Yeah. That's that was, so you. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh-huh. Doing this wrong, do better. Yeah. And so <laughs> that was sort of the first, I did a couple of them just a few a year and, um, they would all sell out. And then Langara college, which is a, um, a college here contacted me to, um, run a course in navigating the art industry, which is what it's called a 12 week course. So I taught that for a while continue to work in the gallery scene, pretty much work my way up to my, I like for me, the top rung, sort of the, the, the furthest I could go in that. Mm -hmm. And then, um, worked there for quite a while and then started to do the consultations part-time. Um, and that, you know, as anything does kind of takes over, like the thing you sort of do on the side becomes your full-time gig, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, I had a lot of fear though, making that kind of transition, that leap into doing 
Deist and Confucius full time, um, just because I didn't think that I didn't think that people would take me seriously without the names behind me, without the the gallery name. Right, because you'd always been in that world. Yeah, always. Yeah. And then when I did, no one ever ever asked me again. Sometimes when it's read out loud in my bio, people are shocked and they're just like, oh, you used to work in gallery? I'm like, yeah, man, for like 20 years. <laughs> but but it just realized how little it actually mattered and, and, you know, how most of it was actually just from, just from experience and, you know, just um, my research and, you know, everything that I'm constantly doing to learn more and, and be on top of it for artists. Mm-hmm. And so when you did your first few, were you thinking that it would turn into a business or were you just kind of trying to help a few artists? Yeah. When I did the first few, it was trying to help a few artists and it was sort of more because either I represented them at the gallery. So it was just sort of a, a check-in and a studio visit, you know, that Mm -hmm. was at that time, not really a thing, right. Um, that your curator constantly checked in on you, helped you with your body of work, developed your, you know, your practice and your concept. Um, and I mean, I'm sure it was, but it just wasn't for me anywhere else. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then they became a little bit more structured and now they're like fully structured in a, in a specific way where, you know, in these 70 minutes we have specific points to hit. And, um, even though they're all super different, depending even on what country I'm in, it's, um, it's always more or less like to achieve the same thing, which is like, how do I make my work better. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and how do I, like, you're very good at getting to uh, the heart of the matter because I think it's so funny. I always say I can give other people advice. Yes. No problemo. Yes. And then when it's my own work, um, actually in the first um, episode, I talk about that in the intro mm-hmm. about how when I was trying to do my show for Toronto and I knew exactly, like, I knew what I wanted the show to be about, but I couldn't see the forest for the trees because mm-hmm. I was just... You know, when it's your own thing, yes, it's a fog. And um, I, you and I had already like the possuming was over. All like we'd gone past all of that, and I was working on this show. And I just, I think I texted you, and I was like, and "What about this? And what about this? And this and this?" And I have a question. Yeah. About, and then you were, you just wrote back, "Call me." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and within like 15, 20 minutes, just us chatting, it became very clear what I needed to do. But you know, it's just that, like, yes. um, and you knew that already, like that's the kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's the forest for the trees thing. And I'm in like this helicopter looking at you walking through it and just kind of giving you like GPS, you know, little tidbits about turning left or turning right and this sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, that's, and you give such good advice to other artists too, but, um, I think that's why I don't think I can be an artist myself. It would be, I wouldn't be able to be objective enough. Mm. I would be too close to it. Do you, would you want to, like, do you have the desire to make stuff? Yeah, I do, but not in a way that, um, feeds my, my life and soul, like the way it does for you, you know, like it's different for me. I could make like a pot of stew and it would like satisfy (laughs) me in the same way. I, you know, I like creating and I like that and I love materials. I'm a, I'm a bit of a material head, you know? Um, but it is more, it's for a different purpose than it is for you. And I think that's kind of important. Yeah. Yeah. And it, but it's nice that you understand our brains. Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, a 
spend a lot of time digging around in your brains to figure that out. <laughs> Ow, I can feel it now. Well, I remember actually, and I, I've told this to quite a few of our mutual friends that um, when you first came to the studio, the work that I was doing were my small paper pieces with just one little stroke of paint and then one little cutout person. And uh, you were like, oh, these are great studies. I was like, mm -hmm. studies? What are you talking about? This is like the final, like, this is what's going to MoMA. What are you talking about? And um, I just remember being like, uh-oh. <laughs> great job on step one. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. um, I think, though, because it is coming, like, because I did trust you, I let you in my house, for God's sake, because I did trust you, uh, it wasn't like an art school critique where I was like, what do they, you know, what, what does she know? You know, this isn't just a study. I actually listened and I was like, okay. And you didn't just drop me off there. We talked for a really long time about, yeah. okay, well, what does that mean? And how do you totally. push it further? And after that conversation, I kept thinking about it. You know, I went out mm. and then I went to Venice and yes, I saw and you wrote all, that list. Yeah. And things. I saw yes. all these things. And, it, and so I just kept our conversation in the back of my mind and, you know, when I got to Venice and sort of felt overwhelmed by the amazingness of everybody and thought, oh, my stupid little collages, I was like, well, hang on. No, no. No. You know, if if I'm so impressed by the grandeur of this, I can do exactly what Penny Lane said. And, like, I can push my work to be more complicated, to be bigger, to be an installation at some point or whatever. And um, I think that's the really wonderful thing that you do is just sort of plant these seeds to go here's your way out of the forest yep. and you know, and then you let you let the people go, but enjoy the stroll, you yeah, know, you take exactly. a look around. Right. It's yeah. not a, it's not a marathon. And, um, yeah. I think, sorry, it is no, it's it's not, not a sprint. A sprint. Yes. It's not a sprint. It is a marathon. Mm -hmm. And, uh, as a runner, you know, mm -hmm. for you. but I do think a big part of it, and you wrote your visual vocabulary down when you were in Venice, you yes. told me, right. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that, changed things I think quite a bit and I one you know we have the segment here that you thought of Penny Lane calls bullshit yes that one, is our segment with you yes. yeah <laughs> and one big part of that is um why does my work have to say anything like that's one of my bullshit things that I want to I want to call bullshit on yeah um but we can we can save that for later no let's say let's go like here we go dun da 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 okay Penny Lane calls bullshit <laughs> go <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, these are just some things that when, you know, when Danielle came to me and said like, let's do a segment on this. Do you have things that artists commonly say? And yeah, I see about 500 or so artists a year, a little bit more. And they, there's just the same kind of stuff that comes up that I need to squash instantly or else it's going to grow <laughs> and grow and grow. And one big one is like, why does my work have to say anything? Can it just be pretty at, and yeah, it can be pretty, but even pretty is saying something, right? you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that, you know, for those who are a little bit insecure, it's like, why, why does it have to say anything at all? And for those who are a little bit more, um, a little bit more aggressive about it, they're like, no, work should just stand for itself. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just stand on its own too bad. And that's never true. It's never true. And sure. Your work can say nothing but then it just won't be as good. All right. So that's fine. Right? <laughs> um, and when it does, and even if it's these really personal things, like so much of your work is about, um, has some, has some familial ties to, to you, right. And mm -hmm. to your, around your, your grandma and, um, just 
And they're also really funny. And that's a big part of your practice as well, right? That's a big part of you. Yeah. Um, and I think that when you wrote those down in the visual vocabulary, that all became pretty freaking clear, clear that the work is about not just something, you know, fun and pretty. It's about something way more than that. And that's what I call the meat and potatoes. <laughs> yes. You say meat and potatoes yeah. a lot. And yeah. yeah, and that was another force for the trees things is I, I was doing all this stuff that was just instinctively coming out of me, but I didn't really know what it meant or why or, um, and I, it was really hard and frustrating to kind of um, focus that in. And I, again, so glad that we talked about it because, yeah, when I wrote that visual vocabulary list, I started to realize that the reason I use the queen all the time is that she actually mm -hmm. looks a lot like my grandmother. And, and pink. And pink, like, yeah, because yeah. when she was dying, she had said, watch for me in pink. And there's pink in my work all the time, which can be mm -hmm. perceived as, oh, cute and girly. Absolutely. But and that's not why, and, yeah, exactly. And that's not why I'm doing it though, you know? And so, no. um, but for me to actually be able to articulate that, then that it changes your artist statement. It changes, it changes everything. Yeah. your shows, it changes everything. And, uh, yeah, I like, it also helps to be more consistent because that pink is a very particular, you know, Daniel Chris of pink now. Right? Yeah. It's not, if you were to say pink, I would pick a totally different pink than that. Right. But it's that specific one because why? And then, you know, when you, and when you, when you wrote it down, it's, it becomes cohesive. It mm -hmm. becomes part of something much bigger. Right. Right. Okay. What's some more bullshit? You All got? right. Some bullshit. So you want, I've divided them into two categories, lighthearted, like you know, small blobs of bullshit. And then like big heaping, steaming piles of bullshit <laughs> that have to get shoveled out of the way or you're never going to get where you're going. Yeah. So yeah. that was a more, that was a steamer. Okay. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, then we have little pellets like rabbit pellets. Do you want a pellet? Or yeah. Give me, give me a couple of pellets. Okay. A couple of pellets. So this is my favorite one. I get it all the time. You really need to see my work to understand it. Should I bring it into the gallery or dot, dot, dot. Right. And you really need to see my work to, in person to understand it drives me nuts because first of all, you know how much work I see? I see a lot of freaking work. I think I know what acrylic on freaking canvas looks like. Like <laughs> I got it. And if, and the second thing to that, which was, should I bring it into gallery? No, never do not do that unless you're, you know, being asked to. Um, that was sort of one of the biggest mistakes I would get a lot when, when working in gallery that artists would roll up with their portfolio and just start scattering stuff on the ground, hoping that, you know, it just takes that one person to go, Oh my God, what is this? Um, what is this charcoal? I've never seen such a thing. Um, and, uh, no, like if you, if your work needs to be seen in person, which lots of times, sure. Of course, seeing something in person makes a difference. You need to do a better job photographing it. Right. Or you need to put it in situ or you need to make it so that it works digitally. Right. Um, because if it takes a person needing to see it in per like in, in human life, um, <laughs> with human eyeballs to, to really get it, you're really going to limit yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Like in my situation, I live in a tiny town. Like what would I even do? Nothing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, that's a huge part of it. You need to like, no, I don't need to see your work. I transitioned to seeing people in my, in my office. They come to me now rather than me coming to them. And it's allowed for me to see one additional person a day, which is huge. Um, but 
it didn't go over, you know, initially so well because people were really cranky about, yeah, you need to see my work in person. And I'm like, I really don't. I really don't need to see in person. <laughs> what do you think the percentage of people who have their work photographed properly is compared versus those that don't? Mm, I'd say probably like nine to one. <laughs> That's not photographed well? Yeah, probably like wow. nine, eight to eight. Yeah, sure. Sure. Maybe 80% no. And that's not necessarily because like, first of all, they are, they, they're, they haven't professionally done it, which is not always necessary. Um, but they have to put it in situ. And that's something that people often forget. Like we need to see the work with freaking other stuff around it. So I understand what's going on here. Is this, is this directed at me, Penny Lane? No, no, you do. You do. Know, you do. some. I see you throwing some, some yeah. exacto knives and stuff in there. I see stuff. <laughs> paintbrushes. Sure. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, it's good. Okay. It's all good. But yeah. And so many, can I say so many of your buyers too have bought a site unseen, right? They bought online. Yeah. All of them. So you much. need to, they need to trust that that's going to look the way it looks when it gets here. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I want that Daniel Chris of pink. That's what, <laughs> that's what you want, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Can't be, can't be a, a hot pink. <laughs> um, yeah. So that one. Okay. Pink. Another, let's see, another pellet is, um, I need to sign on the front. I need, this is just some old school stuff. I need to sign on the front because that's the way it's done. And sure, maybe, but you don't have to anymore. That's just old school thinking. Do a lot of people want to do that? That bugs me. I don't like signing. Most people do that. Uh Yeah. I find for me, maybe it's my graphic designer in me. Yeah. It changes the composition because now my eye gets drawn down there. Sure. But then and people tell me I'm supposed to do it. It depends. And if you have like a little, you know, a little signature or you have like a little symbol, great. Like that works great. Um, also for people who work in like a medium that um, the tradition is to sign on the front, for example, um, like um, printmaking. Right. And, and a lot of work on paper, actually. Um, that's fine. Um, it's just something that you don't have to do. And I think in a lot of artists' minds, they think, no, I, I must, I must put my giant signature on the front because that's the way it is. Because right. Picasso it did isn't. it. Exactly. Right. Um, and you see it in the movies or something like that. Right. Um, another one is I need watermarks because people will steal my work. Oh, that drives me crazy. Yeah, that must drive your graphic design brain like so crazy. Oh, I don't, I, I don't write about people who have watermarks on their work because <laughs> yeah. it makes a terrible looking post and it it's, looks bad on me and it looks bad on them. And so I just don't write about them. No. And it's pres- like, it's, it's tacky. It looks like a magic eye, like gone wrong. And, <laughs> and it's presumptuous. It's like, don't worry. I won't steal your work. Well, Not the because thing it is, has a watermark because it's bad. <laughs> the thing is people can like, I asked Ben Skinner about this one time because I saw somebody that was sort of like, let's say emulating some of his work. Mm -hmm. And I said, how do you feel about that? And he's like, well, I don't care because I'm constantly evolving. Mm -hmm. So he's like, Mm -hmm. I'm never going to do that again. Like, you know, I'm constantly getting better and, you know, doing new things and whatever. So he's like, if you want a copy, fine. I did it first. Totally. You know, and so I think having a watermark, like, you know what? And people are good at Photoshop. If they want to remove your watermark in Photoshop, they'll be able to do it. Yes. And basically all like the loss is not, is greater than the gain. Totally. Like what you'll lose in it because it just looks freaking tacky and awful is, is not worth 
it's not worth somebody stealing it to what are they going to do? Print it out and yeah. you know, put it on their agenda. Like nothing's going, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> so that, yep. Yep. Um, okay. Should we go for a, a steamer? Okay. Give me a big old pile. Okay. So this one, I call it the two, two, two. I hear it the most. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too busy to mm -hmm. succeed or to make work or whatever it may be. Right. But it's the, I'm too blank. I'm too old. That's freak. That's such bullshit. Um, okay. Then what, what are you going to do? Yeah. Instead? Sit there and wait to die. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You, I'm glad you said it because, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's just, and most, most of the artists that, you know, in the last few years that I've picked up, um, when I was at gallery had been over 60, um, didn't know that when picked them up, just thought they were good and they were professional and, you know, they had their shit figured out. Yeah. That right? is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope everyone listening just heard yes. that very loud and clear. Yeah. And okay. So like, you're not great at Instagram, whatever, like figure it out. Like if that's the only hurdle, come on, you know, <laughs> you've seen worse, probably a couple wars. I don't know. Right. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> It's fine. And yeah, I think being, being, you know, being old just means that you've good job. You've got, you have some experience, you've had your shit figured out and great. Yeah, now and you, you probably can, have something to say too. Yeah. And you can dive right in and skip all that horrible stuff that is, you know, that you experience in your youth. That right. stuff sucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm too busy. So I'm too busy is such a common one. Um, and instead, like there are so many artists, you wrote about so many of them that find ways of making artwork in the in-between times in their lives, mm -hmm. right? It's important to keep a foot in it. I think rather than doing like the thing that they say is I'm too busy, but there's going to be a time coming up or I'm going to take this huge gap in time. Um, I'm going to do a sabbatical or whatever it may be to just do work. And then I'm going to go back to not doing it again. <laughs> and I think that that's a, a that's problematic, right? Um, if we keep a little toe in the door by doing something, you know, regularly every other day, right. At, at least once a week. Yeah. It, I, I, I say every day, like even sure. if it's 15 minutes every yes. day, like it, it's like exercise. Yeah, absolutely. Or meditation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I said, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to meditate until I take a month off. I'm going to meditate for a month and then never do it again. Like, I don't think it would be that useful. Right. So you, I often give people little prompts from your book, creative block. Um, excellent, excellent yes. decision. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and, um, a couple of them, like I, I know, I think about, um, Kate Bingham Burtz, um, her little suggestion in, in your book, which was, uh, to just pick things out of the medicine cabinet and draw them. Yeah. Right. Or photograph them, do something cool with them. Um, and her practice is all about like little mundane daily objects. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're surrounded by those things. And just the ones, in the medicine cabinet just happen to be something, you know, ones that are a little bit kind of interesting. They might have a story there. You can make up a story there. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's great for writers too, you know, like take that out and, and your story has to start with something about this bottle of, you know, Whatever or whatever it is. it is. Yeah. And, um, actually I just had Kate on last week 
And this, of course, we talked about this because it's uh-huh. Kate and that's how she rolls. But she um, has a baby. She has a one-year-old now. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, but she's still Kate and she's still doing her thing. And mm-hmm. she does 15 minutes a day. And I bet all of those objects have become really baby-based too. They have. The, yeah, yeah, right? We talked all about <laughs> that because I said, you know, I've been following her since she started, you know, documenting everything she buys in 2006 or whatever it was. And uh, it's so neat to watch to now because, you know, now there's like baby onesies. Yes. (laughs) As her drawing of the day or like, you know, he got his first cold or whatever it is. And it's, you know, baby aspirin. I don't know. Whatever it is. But that's what she's documenting now. Yes. And she was saying that, you know, those 15 minutes... um, especially when you're a new mom and stuff, it makes her feel like her. Like it's, you know, and that could go for anybody, whether you're a mom or not, but you have a busy day and you're go, go, go. And say you're a lawyer and you're doing this stuff all day. If you can take 15 minutes to do a quick collage or to do a drawing or a hand lettering thing of a headline in the paper or something, it just gives you this little private moment to go, you know what? I am an artist because I'm doing this every single day. I'm still doing it. And then yeah. it just accumulates so quickly, right? Yes. That's, and that feels good. The part that I think inhibits people from like breaking that cycle of I'm too busy, I don't have the time, is that there's this void, right? There's this emptiness of not having made anything and not exercised that muscle for such a long time that you can't, you feel like you can't get back into it. Right? Yeah. But when you fill up these books, these sketchbooks or whatever they may be, it's satisfying to see that. It is. And you can see your progress and, you know, um, because, you know, I talk about when you do these daily things, like even if it's an Instagram a day, you know, give yourself a list of, of things for 30 days, like blue or Mm -hmm. squares or whatever. And you have to like look for them each day. Um, it makes you so present. For sure. And guess what? Those prompts are already on Instagram, right? There's so many hundred day challenges. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Another one I like is, um, Leah's like Leah, um, Giberson? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. What she, does she say? She said, um, that she likes to do the thing where you get like a magazine and you, you like draw on top of it or block certain things out, like eliminate parts and, you know, bring out certain words in the magazine to create yeah. like a visual poetry style. And I like that one because you can just get any magazine, like a national geographic, whatever it may be, and just start going at it. Right. It's given you the stuff. So you're now just eliminating Yep. Right. Yeah. And that's always easy to, instead of beginning from nowhere, it's just about, it's kind it's the, it's kind of like the reverse collage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And it, it, it is so nice because a lot of, you know, one of those excuses, one of the, I don't know if it's a pellet or if it's a steamer, it's kind of in between where. This is a steamer for me because I just freaking hear it all the time. Yeah. Well, well, I mean like the white, the white page. Oh, the, the Do you right. Think being scared of the white page. Do you think that's a pellet or a steamer? I think that that is a steamer because it's indicative of something like way bigger, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those ones where you're starting to, you're like, I don't need to go to the bathroom. And then you really go and you're like, whoa, I really did. (laughs) So, (laughs) so it was a pellet to a steamer. Yeah. 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 But it's a good excuse. You think it's just a little pellet. And if you are, if you are in that spot, like that Leah's projects is a really good one to do because you're starting with something already it's not up to you to put the first mark down because the it's a magazine page covered in all sorts of stuff yes it's like for writers when they just have that flashing cursor on a blank page but if you were to edit something you're like oh yeah easy peasy i can edit this yeah totally 
Um, and I think it's also easy for a lot of people who are busy, busy just because they have the magazine and they have maybe like a, like a Sharpie. Right. And that's it to bring around with them. Right. And to go at it that way or. Yeah. Like uh, even on like, and you don't need, like, I think a lot of people, Kate and I were talking about this too, that people feel like, well, I need that eight hour runway. Or like you said, like, I'm going to take a month off and Mm -hmm. you don't actually need that. There is a lot of time in your day that is like wasted time. Like even in the five minutes when I stand staring at my boat, I'm waiting for my coffee to be ready. Mm Mm-hmm. I could do something in those five minutes. I should do that, actually. You should I do, do the bottom, like, which is fun. You should draw the bottom. I should. I'll do blonde, yeah. blind contours of my bottom and see if that makes the coffee get ready faster. That's Every true. time Greg pours the water in, because you have to pour the water in and then wait five minutes. As he's pouring yes. the water, I say, is it ready now? Is it, <laughs> now is it ready? And he said, no, it's not. Yes. And I, I'm the one who's like stirring it constantly. Cause I'm like, yeah, I really need to seep in. And then I drink it too early and it's just brown water. Yeah. See, you need to dry your bottom too. Apparently. I do. <laughs> but like that is a five minute time. Um, sitting on the train or the bus home, you could pull out that magazine and some white out and yes. do it right yes. there. And so there are chunks of time and I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. Please. Thank you. Um, I taught a workshop, um, a couple of years ago, and there was a guy in the class. He was probably in his late fifties. He owned a sign um, company, like, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, but he did collage, and so he would come home at five thirty, and he had his studio. No, five o'clock. Sorry, and he had his studio in his garage, and he would go in there for one hour, and then Before he would dinner. go into his yeah. house at six and help yes. with dinner and help with homework and whatever. Because he said, if I go into my house at five, I'm never coming back out to the studio. That's right. But he said, I would go in there from five until six. And you know, the rule, like I'm not technically home until I walk into the house at six. It's only an hour a day, but he, he got so much done. And I thought that was such a disciplined, smart way to do it. And it, it doesn't have to be an hour. It could be half an hour. It could be 15 minutes, but give yourself that. And you'll find you are actually not too busy. Yes. And the other thing I like about that too, is that it's just little bits, right? Regular little bits. I talk about bankable time a lot. Um, and, um, that is that there are things that you can do that aren't necessarily just producing they, but they still count towards your bankable artist time. Right. Right. So if you're reading, you know, let's say create a block or if you're watching something that's, Oh God, we can't get into TV. We'll never stop. Oh God. I know yeah. you and I, that's hours yeah. of conversation. I love me some TV. As but, do I. Uh, but uh, <laughs> if you're look, watching something like that, or if you're taking time out of your day to go for a walk or sit down or think, um, get your thoughts out, that's all bankable time. I call it. And that feeds your practice. So again, yeah. whatever it may be, the 10, 20, 30 minutes a day, make it bankable time. Mm-hmm. I call that procrastinating with purpose. Good one. I like that. PWP. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Because it, that, you know, like you feel like sometimes you go into this, like if you've decided like five till six, I'm going to the studio, but you're not really in the mood to make anything. You can procrastinate with purpose and you can watch Amelie because it inspires you or you can clean things up or you can cut stuff out or whatever. And it usually when you procrastinate with purpose, you do start to get that, ooh, maybe I'll do this and maybe I'll glue this onto this and suddenly you're making stuff. And if you're not, then you've you've actually, like you've got that bankable time. You've contributed to your creative Perfect. bank. Mm-hmm. Totally, exactly. Yeah. Look, I, I put them I put them together. Uh, you did. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Oh, you made now, a deposit. Yeah. <laughs> All the pellets are in the bank. I really, now that you said TV, I really want to talk to you about TV, but we shouldn't. Well, no. Maybe at the end. Okay. Maybe at the end. Okay. Uh, we'll reward ourselves after we bank this. Yes. And then okay. Yes. Okay. I'm also a really big fan of rewards. So what, what um, kind of rewards? TV rewards and food rewards. Yeah. Of course. Those are my two main rewards, yeah, right? Me too. Uh, petting a dog. Like that's also a reward. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, another, let's see. Oh, here's a good steamer. Okay. I also call it uh, the I'm huge in Japan syndrome. Um, and that is always that I would be successful if I lived in fill in the blank city. Okay. And that is something I just hear so much from artists. If I lived here, if only this, if I didn't, you know, and I mean, I'm going to, tell you one of my favorite, my, I don't know if you want to call it like my anthem, but it's, uh, that the grass is greener on the other side because it's fertilized with bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's a quote I heard ages ago, but it's always stuck with me because that, that comparing yourself to other people or thinking if you did were somewhere else or anything like that is because it's fertilized with bullshit. It's never true. Yeah. Um, and yeah, again, as somebody who loves calling bullshit. Yeah, right? I know. And so when you're in those moments, because you, I find you hilarious because to me, that's why I was, I knew we would call this segment paneling calls bullshit because you're kind of like, like an old lady who's had a stroke mm-hmm. and has no filter. Yeah. Sounds good. Which I I'm really, like the bottom, the no filter. That's right. <laughs> I just find you hilarious because it's sort of like you, you just don't have time for the bullshit. So you're just like, oh, anyway, and you just kind of call people on it nicely, but also bluntly. And it's very refreshing. It saves so much time. So when somebody says like the, oh, if only, if this, if that, if that, do you physically find yourself like, do you roll your eyes? Does your head fling back? Like, are you just like, not again, I cannot hear this again. Yeah, I, I, I tell them, I'm like, I'm 80, and I've had a stroke, yeah. so get out of here. <laughs> I don't have time for this, This is sunny. a big steaming pile of crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I say, move there. That's what I say, usually. Yeah. Um, okay, then move there, right? And it's always some terrible excuse, like, no, I can't, like, my, my CDs are here, or something weird. <laughs> uh, um, but it's mostly... I would be successful if I lived in blank. And I guess what, as somebody who's been to blank city and met with those artists, they are saying the same freaking thing. Right. Um, if they lived and, in the country or just they it's not concentrate. Like the yeah. yeah. It's just, okay. If you live there, maybe you would, but there, and, and, and we should say there is some truth to that, right? There is always um, opportunities in certain places, right? Um, but it doesn't mean it's unreachable, right? right? It means it'll just, it maybe it'll take a little bit longer, but you also have to understand that the people who are there don't have the things that you have right. wherever you are, okay? And that those things are hugely important to your practice. So let's say it is something like um, a New York, Chicago kind of situation, which yes, they're awesome places, Um but yeah, there'd be a lot more competition if you lived there and you would have a lot less space to yeah. make work. And you make giant work that is about, let's say, nature. And that is why you live in the country, <laughs> right. right? So there are these things that I don't think people take into account because they, um, 
They feel very stuck where they are and nothing's stopping you from going there. Go there then. Yeah. If that's the case. And you'll find there's a lot more people doing, I mean, there's going to be a lot more competition as well. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think, I think at the root of it, that is just an excuse for feeling frustrated that you aren't where your career is not where you thought it should be by now. And I often talk about, um, like success, like rungs of a ladder and that, you know, a lot, and I'm, I am totally like (laughs) guilty of this too, is that, you know, I'll set, I'll set, you know, the next rung on the ladder. It's like, here's what I want to achieve. And then I achieve it. And instead of going, woohoo, I did it. I, I, I'm looking over at the person who's doing something even crazier and I'm like, well, shit, I want that. And it's like, well, that wasn't even on my ladder. So what am I even talking about? And it's like, okay, well, if you want that, and maybe that means moving, or maybe that means a big solo show somewhere, then do the work to get to the next rung Mm -hmm. or actually evaluate it and go, am I just jealous? Like, do I actually even want what they have? Or am I just kind of jealous of the glitz of it all? Right. And have I really taken into account everything they've done to be there? Yeah. Like they didn't just show up there. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That it means to be in that position. Right. And I think you have to stop and really actually think about that, especially in this world of Instagram where it's like all the amazingness is just like flinging by you. Like, you know, every second it's like, well, hold on, actually stop and think about what it is you want, how you're going to go get it. Mm-hmm. And take into account, yeah, everything else those other people are doing. And if they're doing stuff that you really want, well, then emulate them. Figure out what their, you know, strategy was and, you know, do the same thing. Um, or figure but, out what your strategy is going to be. For sure. And I think sometimes, I have heard you talk about it before, like when you want, when you were published in that magazine and you're like, I want nothing more than this. If I had this, I would be happy. I, oh, would, yeah. Die, yeah. I would die the next day happy. And then it came out. And then like by the evening, you're like, oh God, what's next? Yeah. I don't think it was even the evening. I, I didn't even celebrate it for more than a few minutes before I was always wa- already wondering if, ooh, if I got into this, I wonder if that means I got into that. Yes. Yeah. It's just like, oh my God, Danielle, what? Totally. And I think there's something about confusing ambition, which I think that is good. I'm, I'm totally like that too, right? Um, ambition with possibly like a little bit of anxiety. That's what it is for me. Mm-hmm at least, which is like, what's next, what's next, it's got to be more, right? Yeah. Um, and so rather than, I think we need to take time and sit in it a little bit and say, okay, no, that was something huge. This is what I wanted. And, um, let me sit in it a bit. What does that feel like? Right. Mm -hmm. Celebrate Um, it and, you know, watch TV and eat chips or something. Rewards. Yeah. Well, you know, when I was in, um, I don't know if you saw the Instagram. Did you see the Instagram of of the pool in Venice? Oh, yes. Yeah. And that was a huge, huge treat to myself because um, I have wanted to write a kid's book for years and years and years. uh, And it happened. And, you know, I sent in the file. Like, it's done. And did I celebrate this gigantic dream coming true? Nope. I was already thinking about planning the book tour and this and that. It's like, okay slow down, sit in this and enjoy it. So before I went to Venice, I said to my husband, I'm going to, I did some research. I found this beautiful hotel on Lido mm-hmm. on the island across from Venice. And I was like, I'm going to go and pay a ridiculous amount of money. Well, what, I mean, it was like, yeah, it was like a hundred bucks to go yeah. <laughs> and use their fancy pool for the day. And I was like, 
I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to buy any fancy shoes or anything while I'm there. This is what my big chunk of money is going to be. And I went and sat in this pool and I floated. I was in there for seven hours. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, that's amazing. How did the, that feel? Like It felt so amazing. And I, I enjoyed every single moment. I walked there from the, from the boat terminal and I stopped and I had a coffee and then I walked to another cafe and I had a, um, a chocolate croissant and then I walked to the pool and then I was at the pool for seven hours. I had a nap. I oh floated, I swam a little bit, a fancy Italian guy brought me a drink, I swam oh again, and I, the whole time I just sat in it and thought, like, good for you, Danielle, and like, I'm totally. still going to have that anxiety and that wanting to get to my next rung, which is fine, yes. but I actually patted myself on the back really, really truly for the first real time. Yes, and it will, it will, your anxiety, it will be there waiting for you. So don't oh, worry yeah. about it. it certainly you know? Will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you could leisure hop, which is what you did. Yeah. <laughs> like from place to place, right? And then sit in it and totally enjoy it. And so, you know, the, the huge in Japan syndrome is, is real. And, um, if, you know, I say to people, if you really truly think that it, you would be huge there, and is it, wouldn't it be ridiculous to, to be preventing yourself from doing that by staying here. Right. And right. it really makes you, you know, kind of look, look at your situation and think, well, no, we can't trade those things. It's being fertilized with bullshit. <laughs> and, um, and if, if you really don't know, do a residency there. Yeah. That's a great I was just going to gonna say that. Yeah, totally. My sister actually, she's a lawyer, but she always wanted yeah. to live in New York. And so, um, she was going to pack up, move to New York, write the New York bar. And then the bossy older sister, that's me, yeah. said, you know what? Visiting New York, she'd been there a bunch of times. I said, it's a lot different than living in New York. Oh, yeah. So I yeah. said, why don't you sublet your apartment in Vancouver and get an apartment in New York just for the summer and just live there for a summer? Like, really live where you would have to live, like, to afford it. Like, you're not going to be yes. Carrie Bradshaw. Like, wh what does living in New York actually look like? So she did it for, like, two and a half months. Loved it, had an amazing summer, and then very happily moved home to Vancouver and said, nope, I yeah. really like Vancouver. Absolutely. And when I lived there, it was hard. I didn't enjoy it for the first couple of years. It took me a long time because it was just, it was the worst. It was hard for me. Yeah. And, uh, and like some people, people love it immediately, which is great. Oh, yeah. Then they can stay. Oh, yeah. yeah, totally. And I think now in my life it would be different. But when people came to visit me, I showed them like, the New York minute, right? Right. <laughs> I showed them what exactly, because, and I felt that way when they were there too, because we would do all the things and, you know, um, go through central park and walk the Brooklyn bridge and these, these sorts of things that you do. Right. Right. But then I had to go back to freaking real life, which was way harder being there. Um, so things aren't as necessarily glamorous as you think they are because, and you have to really live in it to, to figure that out. Yeah. And a residency is a really great way to do it. That's yes. really, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's the huge Japan. Should we do another pellet or you want a, a steamy? Give, let's give me one more big steamer. Okay. One more big steamer. Yeah. Food. Okay. This is a, this is a big one. Okay. okay. Um, I have to find representation in a gallery. That line. Mm -hmm. um, you must have heard it before uh, as oh, well. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you thought it? Uh, no. Okay. Okay. That's good. And you, I mean, there's, there was always sort of the niggly, like, um, because I went to art school, I, I don't know, maybe it's not because I went to art school, but it, that, that made you legitimately an artist if you were represented by a gallery. I think that seed was planted. 
Mm-hmm. But I also, by the time I started actually making art again, like, you know, by the time I turned like 40, I didn't really care. And I wasn't really pursuing it. Mm-hmm. And Mayberry came along and I, I curated something for them. And then they said, would you like to, could we represent you? And I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't really something that I was like, I need this to be legitimate. But that seed had been planted. And it is for some reason, I don't actually think for some reason, I know exactly why it's in the minds of a lot of artists. I need to be represented by a gallery. And that's really at the heart of it, maybe because they don't want to schlep their own work, which I get. Um, if you truly really don't want to schlep your own work, okay, okay, that's fine. Then you need to have somebody else do it. It doesn't have to be a gallery, but somebody else needs to do it. But if you're okay with it, then maybe it's an ego thing. Right. Maybe mm-hmm. if you're okay with doing the things like talking about your work, talking to people, um, handling money, handling your inventory. If you're okay with those things, do you truly need to pay somebody half to do it? Right. Cause that's what it will be. Yeah. Right. They also, I find artists that they're so fixated on the gallery that they forget every other way that there is to sell and show work. Mm-hmm. Um, they always come in, I have a pre-consult form thing, and I say in it, what are some of your short-term goals within six months? And I'd say 90% of the time they say gallery representation on that part. And I'm like, really, in the next six months, eh? And you're an emerging artist. Okay, all right. Um, and it's just because there's, it, I, it is the next rung, I think, yeah. for people. Mm-hmm. And it's because they don't, it's the model that they've known forever. And frankly, it's a model that isn't for everybody. Ashley Longshore that you've, um, you know, had on a couple times is like the, a perfect example of that. Yeah. Um, and I'm coming from the gallery world. So I'm also, I, I know how much we do for the artist, at least, you know, some of the galleries I've been a part of. Yeah. And I do think there's a ton of value and I do know how hard the gallery does work for the artist in some cases. Um, but for those who really, really aren't, who don't need somebody to, to sell their work for them. I really think, you know, just try to do it yourself. Yeah. And I think that you have, it's, it is the ego thing. I think that, that it's an old model. Yes. Cause it used to be like when I graduated from art school, it was like, you took your slides. Yes. Oh <laughs> yes. You scanned, scanned those. Slides. Yeah. And you yeah. took them, you actually took them to the galleries yep. because email wasn't invented yet. Wouldn't, uh, yeah, I would love Are you wondering how to old bring I am? <laughs> no, no, no. I remember that. I yeah. was part of that. Yeah. And I was like, that would be fantastic if somebody brought their slides into a gallery now. <laughs> <laughs> I should um, do that. I still have them. Um, but that's what it was. And to me, that was mortifying. Sure. Right? So I really love, like, I always say that I'm an, what is it, introverted extrovert? Because yes. I can be very extroverted behind my monitor. Yes. And so email and Instagram and social media, like my husband always says social media was made for me and, uh, it's, it's fantastic. And I can reach out to whoever I want to reach out to. And, um, now, now that I've been through the Penny Lane school of tough love, Mm -hmm. um, I am a lot better at promoting my work and, you know, all that stuff. So, um, but I think you're, you're taught that it's legit if you go into a gallery and they say they wave their magic wand and say, yes, you're an artist. Mm-hmm. And I think people uh, feel like without that magic wand waving, somebody saying it, 
um, that it, it won't count? I don't know. Yeah, I think that's what it is. And I have to remind people, I'm like, you know, how many brick and mortar galleries have closed down in the last cup, like decade, yeah. a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and around the world. Right. So something is broken with that model. Something's not working anymore. Again, don't get me wrong. There are freaking fantastic galleries out there and they do work really, really hard for the artist. Mm-hmm. But, you know, think about again, a thousand people trying to squeeze into 10 spots. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. Right. And on secondary to that is those who are in galleries, the line quote, my work needs to sell at the opening. And I think that that is also a, you know, a bit of a, um, something that's hammered into the heads of artists because it's old school. It's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. We've had this uh, conversation. We have mm-hmm. you and I. Okay. Um, because <laughs> I, those people, yes. you a steamer? Yeah. yeah, because I, I, well, I actually um, had uh, Terrence Payne on and he's an amazing artist. He also owns a gallery in Minneapolis. And so we were talking about this and, um, I, when I had my, I mean, my show in Toronto, my solo show in Toronto, how uh-huh. old was I? 45 was my first solo show since art school. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I thought, I mean, I was super proud of all the work. So I just assumed it would sell out, um, at the opening. Mm-hmm. And then when it didn't, I was like really embarrassed. Yeah, and nobody in the world thought that. No, and even like I, I like, the gallery yeah. was like, "Huh? Like that doesn't happen." No, <laughs> I mean it might with like you know some you know I don't know some people, but not it's not the norm. And no, it made yeah. me feel a lot better to realize that wasn't the norm. Yes, well, it, it does happen to some people for sure. It is, um, but it's not until their I don't know their ninetieth show. Like it's right. not something that happens right away. Yeah. Right. And that is because people, they just don't need, they know that they don't, they don't have that immediacy anymore that they used to have. Right. Um, people just used to line up outside the door before I remember that for the opening. Because that and was the only way you could access the art where now you can access it in yes, five zillion and ways. They haven't, and they haven't even seen it. Right. They haven't right. seen the work. So there was this kind of right. buzz feeling, right? That was, oh my gosh, I want, I need to see Danielle's work. I need to get in there. And then like, I don't know when else I'm going to ever see it again. And then you buy, right? right. And um, it, there just isn't that anymore. So I can't even remember when the last time I, I sold out at an opening. And, you know, sometimes we sell a few, but people are also getting a little savvier. They know that there's more work and they know that you're prolific. I'm just going to use you as an example. You know, they know you make a lot of work. So they don't feel that kind of rush. Does that make sense? Totally. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, they'll just keep an eye on my Instagram feed and see what comes out. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not saying that's better. That's not probably a good thing necessarily, but they just don't feel that kind of pressure anymore. Right. And so they know it's going to be around. They'll get it when they get it. And, and I like, again, I guarantee you, like in usually when the work is around for a year, none of it is from the opening from that one exhibition will still be around. It just takes its sweet time. Right, right. And yeah. knowing that, like, knowing that is a really good thing to know because it's sort of, uh, you know, I'm pretty good at fighting off my inner critic, but I'll tell you, after that, I had I had a little moment because then, mm-hmm. you know, I it did lead to other things. Like, I got asked to be in other shows, which was great, but then I went into the studio to start working on stuff for those shows, and I was suddenly second-guessing. I was like, well... I shouldn't yes. make it look like that because none of that stuff sold. And why didn't it sell? And it's like, okay, hold on. That is not why I made that stuff. 
Yes, yes. And also, I think, you know, you, you said to me about you hadn't been in the solo show since school, right? And yeah. since school, that actually was what it was like. The True. opening was important, you know? And now it's become a little bit more like a celebration, like a party and, uh, you know, for the artist. It's not like, get ready, we're cutting the ribbon and you better <laughs> rush in, right, for this, like, Black Friday thing. It's not like that at all. Right. right. Yeah, so, and that is good to know. Mm-hmm. So... I have to find representation at a gallery. Well, do you? And work needs to sell at the opening? No, it does not. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's that's mm. some weight off the shoulders. Hopefully people are feeling that weight off the shoulder. Okay, give me one more pellet because I want to save some of your, you know, you're, you're, this isn't a one-time deal. Mm. You're coming okay. back. So save coming some of your steamers. Yeah. Uh, give me one little pellet to send us off. And then I just right. want to ask you about um, a few artists just so that you can send us off with a few Instagram handles to go follow. But one more pellet, please. Okay. Um, something that's bullshit. Cheese is bad for you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there something about frames? Didn't you say something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, black frames really frame the piece. Um, I get that a lot. That's some, I teach a, uh, I do a seminar just on framing and presentation and a big one that I come in to con like a big obstacle I come up against is whenever I introduce like white frames and I say white or non-black frames are the way to go. And believe it or not, I still get a lot of kickback about it. Um, and I know that's crazy cause you frame in white yes, and I do, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, uh, or, or without frames at all. Right. Yeah. But people still have this really old school thinking that, that black frames are the only way to go. And most of the time, I'm going to say 90% of the time they're not again, 10% of the time they are, and they still look great with the work, but most of the time it's not going to be a black frame anymore. And that's because our houses have changed big time. Hmm. There's a lot more light. There's a lot less black. There's a lot less dark. We're talking a lot more windows, right? Most houses that are buying artwork and um, brown natural wood, uh, more white to reflect more light. And Mm so black frames just tend to look like like a little bit like a TV screen. Again, Mm. I love me some TV, but not, (laughs) not in this case. Right. And so they look heavy and dated and you end up looking a lot more at the frame than you do at the piece. Huh? Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, they look great, but I mean, I just, to use your work, for example, um, it would be so heavy on your work. Yeah. And you have very little black in the work. You have Mm -hmm. sometimes a little blotchy from here, here, here and there. Right. But there's so little of it. Yeah. Yeah. It would almost like, it's almost like the black frame would become part of the piece. Like it would be part of the composition because it, everything else is so negative space. And so light, yeah. right? It'd be so light, it would weigh it down. And so much of your work is kind of, these days are like very floating. They mm-hmm. kind of seem to float in space. It would lock it in. And it would be such a, such a dramatic square or rectangle with yeah. something that isn't at all rectangular. Right? Well, and it's interesting too how you say like the houses have changed and so have TVs, right? Because now TVs do look like a black frame on the wall. They, didn't, they used to be the big old cathode ray, big box. Yes. But now yes. all of the TVs are flush to the wall with like a black frame around them. So yeah, you don't want your art to look like that. No. And as somebody who buys a lot of small work and you have a lot of small work as well. Yeah. Um, if we framed all of that in black, it would just be so busy. True. Right? 
Um, so that a salon hanging with black frames just looks insane. Um, I feel like I'm going to, I feel like your, your viewers or your listeners are going to hate that one. Well, but then it's the breaks. Sorry. Penny yeah. Lane calls bullshit. She doesn't <laughs> yeah. apologize. She just, no. she calls it. Um, yeah. do you know if I always wonder this, like, um, when you frame stuff mm-hmm. and then you put it in a show, mm-hmm. I always wonder like, do the buyers keep it in that frame or do they just reframe it? anyway for their space but like if you frame it in white you have a better shot of selling it because then they'll be like ah done now I don't have to reframe yes they will they'll keep it in the frame yeah they'll keep it in the frame if anything what they won't if they if they see in the black room they may not get it but your gallery should know better they just galleries are following trends right so that's it and there are there are things that look better in the black because most of the people who are buying from that gallery their audience they're old school like and that's right. totally fine. So if you're not mm-hmm. selling through a gallery, you're selling on your own, play it safe, frame in white. Yeah. If you do work that is more traditional, 100%, go with a, you know, go with a black, go with a gold frame if you wanted to, mm-hmm. uh, or pewter, something heavier. But if you're making more contemporary work, lighter work, if most of the work in your piece is white or light, mm-hmm. go with a white frame, right? And so I will reframe things if they're, if they're, um, if they're not in a frame I like, having said that, it kills me because framing is so expensive. Yeah. And it's such a waste. Well, that's why I burn. remember for my first, um, you know, when I first started showing again, I was like, Ugh, like when I found out how much, because <laughs> I used to paint on canvas. And then when I started working on paper and realized I had to frame mm-hmm. everything, I was like, oh my God, it's a fortune. And so mm-hmm. I was like, can't I just do this in a little cheapy LaRue? Because yeah. I was like, you know, isn't <laughs> like, is the person going to buy it and reframe it anyway? So why no. did I spend all that money framing? Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is like for you too, because you know, if we're removing the gallery part again, your work is actually way easier to ship without the frame. Yeah. Right. So I think that, um, we have to take kind of those things into account. So if you're going for your paper-based light work, maybe, maybe best to just not frame at all because most of it's going to sell online or to people who live in different places. Right. Yeah. And your work is traveling so much too. You're putting in shows here and there and whatever it may be. Yeah. Well, this is actually why I've moved to panel because Mm -hmm. framing was driving me mental. And, Mm -hmm. um, I always worried that like, no matter how well I packed it, it would bend or something would happen. And with panel, it's like so indestructible and I love it. Yes. Yes. And again, that's not, if you, if you do stuff in panel and people want to frame it, they still can. Right. right? So I'm not going to option. No, no, you are not. (laughs) No. Um, okay. That was a great framed pellet. Great. Yeah. Um, okay. So I know that you see, it's insane how many artists you said over 500 a year, right? Yes. And yes. you go to Europe every summer. To You have clients everywhere. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're so cool. Oh, it's, I don't know how it happens. It's, it's great though. So. It is. It's such a cool life that you've built. Okay. So I know you see zillions of people and you could, this could be a whole other episode of you just talking about artists that you love, but can you just throw out three people that um, we should go and look at? Yes. Um, so these aren't, I thought about it and I think that it would just be so hard for me to, to name some people that I work with personally. Plus right. I think that there might be like 
you know, emotions there, um, <laughs> about who I ha- haven't mentioned, for example. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I pick a couple people that I just, I'm obsessed with, but I haven't seen before. Okay. Um, in a, in a business way. Got it. Um, so the first one is, uh, Sheena Liam and, uh, she's, she goes under the handle times new romance. Um, and I'm going to put all of this in the post with the podcast so that you guys don't have to write this down. It'll, the link will actually just be in the post so you can go and click on it from there. So don't worry about it. Okay, go on. Yeah. So she's, I think, um, she's a young girl and she's Malaysian. She is, uh, I think she lives in maybe in Paris and I'm not super sure maybe in, uh, maybe in Malaysia, but she does embroidery work and it's so freaking beautiful. It's it's mostly self-portrait. Oh, with the uh, long hair. Yes, yeah, long hair. I sent it to you, and then it's usually like her braiding her hair, but the the threads are loose. Yeah, so they're super stunning. simple, mm-hmm. super simple, super stunning. I just love it, and I love already like just simple line line figurative drawing right up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I chose all three of these because you know it's getting close to Halloween. Not when this airs, I don't think, but um, and there's a bit of a Halloweeny feel in all these. Little <laughs> yeah. bit, they're a little bit creepy. Um, the next person is Lee Jin Ju, and she is a Korean artist. Um, been following her for a really long time, and she does these amazing paintings that are super intricate. Um, and it's hard to describe what they are, but they're, they're really haunting um, and really delicate. They usually involve some type of uh, it. It almost feels like a memory dream, like when your when your dreams are all mashed together. And yeah, I was gonna say it's very narrative. I went and looked. Because you sent me a few of these ahead of time, and I went and looked, and yeah, they're really, it is. It's like a bizarre, super narrative dream that you can't even begin to figure out maybe what's going on. Yeah, they're really surrealistic, right? Mm -hmm. And I think she does mention that before about how they are kind of like these memories that you can't get rid of and like Mm. of something, past events that have happened. So they're kind of creepy in that way, but they always involve some kind of, um, they're really layered and they have this usually a cross section or of, of the dream. It's like a cross section of a dream. Um, and then the last person is, uh, Mary Gold Santos and she's Canadian and she's from Alberta. Um, she lives in Montreal as well. And her work is just freaking amazing. I've seen it a few times in real and her paintings are again about memory and culture and her heritage, um, as well she's, um, she does printmaking, but she also does painting and all these sort of creatures appear from, from her background, um, her cultural background. And, uh, yeah, they're just really fantastic. She also does tattooing in the same way, really haunting pieces, figurative, check her out. All three of them actually look very similar now that I, now that I look at them. Well, they'd make a great group show. Oh my God. That would be, I would just die. Yeah. Talk about like buying work at the opening. I yeah, would totally. okay. And it opens on Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay, before I let you go, yeah. and this could go sideways and take forever, but we're not going to allow that to happen. TV. Favorite TV show right now. Oh my God. Okay, The Good Place is, has just started again. It's back. On, yeah. It's back. I can't handle it. It is like the best show <laughs> ever made. <laughs> How, okay. I'm so sorry to everyone that's listening, but hopefully they all love TV too. Have you seen Lodge 49? No, no. Okay, write I, that down. Yeah, I'm already, I'm already typing it in. Okay. So t- tell me, say more. It's about a lodge, like, you know, like, 
like um like the elk's lodge like a men's lodge Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but there's all this, it's all about alchemy and there's like these sort of these mysteries and, but it's a bunch of like just kind of oddballs that belong to this thing, but okay, it's just really odd, but really well done. Nice. Yeah. And, um, where, what is it like? Is it in its first season? Is it new? Um, yeah. So we just, um, so it's the second season is on TV right now. Okay. I never know the channels. I know because Greg somehow just mysteriously have, always gets these shows. They just appear. They yeah. just appear on your TV and you get ready and then to I watch, watch them. them. So yeah. I never know where they come from. But Lodge 49, it's in its second season right now. I think it record it's like on Sunday nights or something. But um we downloaded the whole first season and watched it so good. Oh my gosh. So, is it like is it kind of like surrealistic? Is yeah. it kind of yes. fantastic? Okay. Yeah. So there's no crime because you know, you and I love the crime. Oh yeah. Give me a dead body yeah. any day. Yeah. yeah. And figure out how it got there. No, but there's none of that. <laughs> but it's um there is a little mystery to it. Mm. And there's some weird, yeah, it's quite surreal. There's some very odd things that are happening and there's yeah, it's weird. But you'll like it. I think I will. It reminds yeah. me of like Fargo a little bit. And I yeah. told you how much I like that. Yeah, so. I think you'll like it. So I'm just going to put that out there. I'm um, okay. I, you can say one more. Cause you've only said the good place. Give me like a, like a Netflixy one that you love. A Netflixy like you know, drama like, or yeah. ooh, okay. Give me some yeah. crime. Yeah. Okay. Well, I like, I like mind hunter. Oh yeah. It's, you told uh, me about Game that. I a- yeah. I like it. It's back in its new season. I've already watched it. So came and went right wow. um mm-hmm. and it is uh it is about um serial killers yeah. right and um and the minds of getting into um yeah psych- like the psyche of a of a serial killer and um how how that sort of unravels in the 70s do you watch it before bed oh yeah and you sleep like a baby right rocked uh, it's like a lullaby to me <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> do you watch the do you watch them before bed yep yeah I feel nothing feel me great. either me either yeah. no no I'm if fine. anything I feel in, like yeah I feel lulled to sleep yeah I have this thing where I grew up watching like law and order and stuff with my dad and he could always figure out the thing like 15 minutes into the show oh my gosh and um it drove everyone else in my family crazy because it was like ah because you know he'd figure it out and then you know, what's the point in the next 45 minutes? But I have that too. And so whenever Greg and I are watching like True Detective or anything, I'm like, I think I know what's going on here. And he's just like, don't say anything. But how do you, how do you know when sometimes those characters haven't even appeared? Well, I don't always know because yeah, sometimes they throw the, but did you watch, um, uh, what was the one with Amy Adams, Sharper, Sharp. Yeah, objects or whatever it's called. Was that, is that what it was called? Something about sharp and objects. You're Googling it, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Yeah, it is Sharp Objects. Yes, it is. Yes. Yes, um, I do. I figured that out pretty early. Okay. So, did you like it still, though? Uh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, you know, but uh, they did their best. Sure, sure. <laughs> they tried. They tried. Yeah, they to tried, crack. you know, and I ate my chips, so it all worked out. It does. Yeah. And it is disappointing, though, I do find when you do figure it out and you kind of hope that you're wrong. I love being proved wrong. Like, it's I the know. best yeah. feeling. I know. I, I love it when you finish a show and you're just like, oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Like, I've done that a few times in um, Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's that's 
That's so good. It's classic, right? I mean, you can't how am it. I supposed to wait till next June? I know. I think, I think, think sometimes the binging has, has, you know, made me a way more like a less patient person. I know the world has changed. Penny lane. You're not, yes. you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Oh, no, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to cut it okay, off right there off. because stop. Yeah, I'm already beginning to Google and I can't. I know. I know. And I'm, I know we got to stop, but thank <laughs> you for calling thank the bullshit. You. Sure. And you're You know, I liked it. I know. I know. You're very good at it. And um, I'm very happy. I had a stroke and I'm an old person. <laughs> <laughs> that is a hilarious comparison that you made. Has nobody ever said that to you before? No, that I'm an old lady with a stroke? Well, no. I'm not saying that you're an old lady. With no, 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 no. I'm saying, no. like, you behave like one. Like, uh, do you remember? Did you watch Golden Girls? Yeah, of course. Yes. Well, Sophia, that's why Sophia yeah, was that way because she had a stroke and then she had no filter. Yes, and she was younger yes, than... Yes, she was the youngest of all of them. Youngest? Youngest? Yeah. Oh, I wow. believe so. You may need to Google that too. I thought she was just younger than Dorothy. I didn't think she was no, youngest. I think she was the youngest one. But wow. Okay. That's what you're like. You're like Sophia. Well, You I'll just say the stuff, and I love it. I like... Well, thank you for being a friend. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. Oh, mic drop. That's how yeah. we end right there. Thank you. And oh, if I got to get that song. We'll play us out. Yes. Um, play us oh, out and now that. my dog is barking. Yes, okay. Perfect segue. Um, okay. thank you so, so much. And, um, I will put links to all of this stuff, even the TV shows, um, in the show notes and, uh, and I'll talk to you in a couple of months and we'll do it all again. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. All right. I will talk to you soon. Watch TV. Okay. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Oh, Penny Lane. I'm so glad I finally let her into my house. For those of you who don't live somewhere close enough for her to drive up to your door, she also does online consultations. Mind you, she travels too. I know that she goes to Europe every summer to meet with clients, so, you know, fancy. You can find her at dazedandconfucius.com. There's also a link to all of her stuff over on my site, thejawscurator.com. So if you need it, it's all over there. Oh, and after some quick fact-checking, Penny Lane was right. Don't tell her. Sophia was not the youngest golden girl. She was younger than her TV daughter, Dorothy, but Blanche was actually the youngest golden girl. So, phew, I feel better that I have cleared that up now. Now, before we get to today's project... Charlie is back to give his thoughts on yet another piece of art from the history books. Ready? I'm going to bring Charlie in right now. Hi, Charlie. Hi. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Did you enjoy being here last time? Yes, I did. (laughs) Okay, so today I have a new piece of art for you from art history. And um, I'm going to show it to you and then you describe what it is. And then I'll ask you a few questions. Ready? Yep. Okay, here we go. What do you see? Oh, I recognize. Do you know this? Is this a thing that I would know? Maybe. It's quite famous. Is it just like a random thing or is it from a thing? You know? (laughs) No, it's not from a thing. It's a painting. Oh, so it's just a dude in a car with a chick? A dude in a car with a chick, yeah. Yeah. Um, The title is actually In the Car. (laughs) (laughs) This is Roy Lichtenstein, and he did a whole bunch of paintings that kind of look like uh, comic books. Yeah, it looks like like a comic book kind of thing. Um, What do you think his name is? 
Leroy. Uh-huh. And what do you think her name is? What does she look like with the blonde and then the leopard print coat? Janet. Leroy and Janet? Yeah. Yep, yeah, I love it. Heading out. And does it seem like there's a little... Like, what's going on here? Kidnapper vibe. <laughs> Kidnapper slash date night. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't look particularly pleased. Yeah, he's like... This is a real successful kidnapping. <laughs> and she doesn't, well, I guess she's just going along with it. Yeah, she's like, this is fine. Yeah. So how much do you think this sold for? Probably a lot. Like oh. how much? Well, it's 1963. Yeah. When was it sold? It was sold, um, oh, by his son. Guess what Roy Leroy. Mitch. That's your favorite name to give to people. I thought you were going to name him Mitch, to be honest. Okay, so his son, Mitchell, um, I think it was 2002, 2000, 2005? Um, anyway, early 2000s, this painting in the car from 1963, what do you think it sold for? So it's probably more now. Yeah, yeah, because he's famous and... I'm surprised I'm dumb, like... $40,000. A little bit higher. $40,001. Yes. No. $16.2 million. That's dumb. <laughs> I wouldn't buy art for that much. How much would you, how much would you buy this for? $40,001. <laughs> yeah. That's your education fund. Give it, we'll just toss in your, your university money and you can buy that. Well, is, actually, is the one dollar just her like pocket money? That's all I get. Yeah, I have to live off that. Mm -hmm. What are you gonna go to university for? Not oh, art. Oh no, no, art's cringe. <gasps> Don't say that on an art podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Pranked. No, yeah, I don't. We'll talk about university another day. How about? Yeah, I don't know yet. All right. Okay, so Leroy and Janet kidnapping. Um, selling for sixteen point two million. Thanks, Charlie. That was that was great. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Uh, you got some cool eyebrows. Final statement. Okay. Well, thank you. That was an excellent final statement. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed this installment of Charlie Talks Art, and um, we'll see you next time. All right. All right. Good night. Oh man, I love that kid. Of course, I'm biased, but whatevs. Okay, so for today's project, let's embrace TV. Seriously, last time Penny Lane and I went for coffee, we spent the first hour talking about our favorite shows. I'm not sure if that's awesome or sad. Anyway, I want you to grab a screenshot of your favorite show, either from your computer or just Google it so that you can find an image. Print it out in black and white, and then make at least five copies so that you don't get precious about it. Ooh, and if you can print these on cardstock instead of a regular printer paper, you're going to be able to put more stuff on it like paint and glue. Okay, so that image is your starting place. Now alter the image any way you want. Cut it up and rebuild it as a collage with other elements or bedazzle the whole thing until your favorite characters are covered head to toe in glitter. Have fun and sorry about the mess if you do in fact use glitter. To see all of the work and to get the links that Penny and I talked about, pop over to my site, thegelscurator.com, to see the full post. Thank you so much to Penny Lane for calling bullshit, 
pellets, and steamers. <laughs> She'll be back with more in a couple of months. Thanks to both Thrive and Create Magazine for supporting this episode. And of course, thank you for listening. There will be more art for your ear next weekend. See you then.